This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Amy Rodriguez. One of the things that I found that's really powerful about music therapy that I'm hoping shifts more into the education realm is this idea of taking, we're all at different places and optimizing our health with that or optimizing our learning. And I think as a society, we, especially with the pandemic, that we're moving more into that space because there's been a lot of self-reflection because we've spent a lot of time with ourselves and, and figuring out who we are and what we need. And I think that that really has an influence on our perspectives of other people. And especially looking at the neurodiversity movement versus um, having a diagnosis that falls in that area and looking at where all of our brains are different. We're all coming from different places. And so I really, that hit home, um, especially last fall in some of the work that I was doing for classes of just, we're all on this different place, no matter what our diagnosis is. And um, I just found that really powerful. Um, and even looking at some of the clients that I work with now that yes, they have a diagnosis, but they have all these areas of their life that they're developing their health in. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be about their diagnosis. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. And you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I'm so grateful that you're here today for this conversation between myself and Amy, who comes from a music education and special education background and is currently pursuing her degree and certification as a music therapist. And we talk about the intersection of these professions and how to support our students and clients and just a really awesome, open, vulnerable conversation uh, that was enjoyable. And I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Links, of course, to everything mentioned will be in the show notes. And yeah, I also want to let you know that uh, the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, MTPC, is currently running a vault sale. What does that mean? So the vault is where we put our pod courses that are not currently for sale. Um, we may revamp them and put them out again in the future. We may not. We never know. But one of our pod courses is going into the vault on April 1st. 
And so until then, it will be on sale for $50. It's five CMTE credits. And this particular pod course is Developing Your Inner Music Therapist. It's an amazing course designed by Brian Lacasio of the Voices of Music Therapy podcast. Definitely check it out. Of course, links to that will also be in the show notes and it will be going into the vault on April 1st. So that means that it will be available until March 31st. And after that, who knows if it'll come out again. It might be your last chance to get it. We'll see what the future holds. But yes, wanted to let you know about that sale that's going on. Um, Yeah. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Amy. Awesome. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles, Amy. It's good. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, I'm really excited to hear your take on our various topics today. But to start off, can you tell the listeners about yourself? And it could be music related or not. So I originally came from the field of special education. I've been working in the education field for about 15 years. And I have my bachelor's was in music. And I've wanted to go into the music therapy field for about eight years now but because i live in alaska there um wasn't really much of an opportunity because we didn't have enough music therapists up here and Mm -hmm. finally we do and so i am currently in the um about halfway through my program at saint mary of the woods congratulations um, indiana yeah and um i am moving shifting from the special education and then music field. I'm also a music composer and then shifting into the music therapy realm. Um, So I'm really excited about that shift. Yeah. What originally inspired that? Um, Seeing the power of music with the students I was working with, whether it was in the music classroom or in the special education classroom. And I taught music and special education in the village in Alaska and worked with a lot of our related services specialists. So occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech, and would bring a lot of those goals into the music classroom with the guidance of those specialists. And often most of our services in that situation, the specialists would come in and do supervision, but we would do a lot of the day-to-day hands-on. And so if I could incorporate music into that, then Um, It was a really exciting thing and it got a lot of engagement from students. And so I started looking more and more into music therapy. And then once I finally moved into the city, um, I started looking into what those options could be and and moving forward with that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm I'm sorry it took so long. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, honestly, at the same time, I'm really glad that I have the background that I do because yeah. it's really enhanced my experience while I'm going through school and in my clinical work. Um, mm. Because a lot of the things I bring in, I already have a lot of background knowledge in in pieces of what I'm doing. So it really helped the understanding so that when I dove in, I was ready. And I had the life experience that really, um, I didn't feel like I was starting from scratch 
I felt yeah. like I was taking what I knew plus my background and able to just expand and enhance that. Totally. Yeah. My first few years in, um, special education settings in the public schools, like, you know, learned so much on the fly that I can only imagine like you started learning music therapy curriculum with that base knowledge. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine how much that must've like helped and informed your practice, your learning and just like what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a really great experience, especially I'm in my first clinical placement right now and working with my supervisor, you know, she's able to pull out, you know, this background already and then add pieces and she's able to push me a little bit farther because I have that background. And um, we had some new clients come in that had some different presentations and she just asked me my observations without telling me any background knowledge Mm-hmm. And my thinking was correct because of the background I had. But if I hadn't had that background, I probably wouldn't have seen the the behaviors from clients and the different signals as to what was going on um, yeah. without having that background knowledge. Yeah, totally. Oh, that must be so interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet that the supervisors and um, any other students who are fortunate enough to be with you benefit from your knowledge as well which must be really cool well and we really all our cohort most of us have had some sort of experience between our undergrad and our current program because we're in an equivalency Mm -hmm. and and it's all via distance so we're all over the country and it it really gives us a unique opportunity to share our backgrounds because maybe someone says hey i need more resources for three to five developmental music And then somebody else can say, well, I have that background, but I need more zero to two. Mm -hmm. And so we can share these resources or we can say, I'm going into a TBI clinic this semester. Anybody have resources? And someone just finished there and has all these um, great ways. So it's just really interesting the backgrounds that we have. We have college professors. We have music teachers. We have special education teachers. Um, people that are already working in kind of hybrid music schools that also have music therapy programs. Um, So it's really interesting, um, the background we have. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There's so many times I wish that I could go back and redo my undergrad now that I have some experience. So yeah, I'm always a little bit jealous of people who um, like it's their second profession. Uh, Yeah. So cool. So you, in your email, like you sent so much stuff, not like, how do I say this? You sent some really awesome topics and I'm just going to let you take it basically um, where you want to go and what's top of mind. Um, So one of the things that I have really resonated with, with music therapy is the idea of optimizing our client's health, no matter Mm -hmm. where they are. And this distinction between salutogenic practices and pathogenic practices. So looking at, basically I tie it to growth mindset and education and looking at a client or a student, whoever you're working with from wherever they at, they're at and we all have these goals to reach towards versus you have a diagnosis of a disability and something's wrong with you that we need to fix. And so kind of there's times when we need that diagnosis information and and definitely for assessment and things like that. But 
one of the things that I found that's really powerful about music therapy that I'm hoping shifts more into the education realm is this idea of taking, we're all at different places and optimizing our health with that or optimizing mm -hmm. our learning. And I think as a society, we, especially with the pandemic, that we're moving more into that space because there's been a lot of self-reflection because we've spent a lot of time with ourselves and, yeah. and figuring out who we are and what we need. And I think that that really has an influence on our perspectives of other people. And especially looking at the neurodiversity movement versus um, having a diagnosis that falls in that area and looking at where all of our brains are different. We're all coming mm. from different places. And so I really, that hit home, um, especially last fall in some of the work that I was doing for classes of just, we're all on this different place, no matter what our diagnosis is. And um, I just found that really powerful. Um, and even looking at some of the clients that I work with now that yes, they have a diagnosis, but they have all these areas of their life that they're developing their health in. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be about their diagnosis. Yeah, I'm going to uh, kind of echo that. So this is like holistic health type mindset, right? When we're working with people and being able to support and empower them. Um, and I do a lot of work in the school system, some in mostly not mostly, but some in the public schools with IEP based stuff. And so a lot of those goals are academic based. Um, and when the pandemic hit, it suddenly became so much more important to just be present with my students across the screen, doing whatever, like giving them as much as I could, what they needed at that time. And we would go, you know, months maybe without touching the academic goals specifically, because there's no way we could have addressed those and worked on them until their primary needs were met in like this rapidly evolving world where, you know, everything was different. There was no consistency. Schedules were amiss. They were staring at a screen. Human connection was different. The supports weren't there the way they were in the school building. So yeah, really being able to be like, whoa, like as the music therapist, I can really lean into this you know, we're working on self-regulation. We're working on processing what's going on. We're addressing those needs um, before we're ready to go back to those academic things. And yeah, being being in the music setting, I feel like gave me a lot of freedom with that. Um, and I've carried that, excuse me, a lot into, you know, as things are changing again, we're back in the school system where, uh, it's that time of year where we're looking at IEPs and all that good stuff and just like looking at things and being like, okay, these goals are important and they're things that need to be addressed. Um, but like, what is primary even to those? And if it's not important to be in the IEP, is it, and why is it important for it to be addressed in sessions uh, in order to help this person mm -hmm. be the best versions of themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really, it's really important to be looking at that whole holistic piece. I went to a conference, oh gosh, probably about four years ago, and there was one of the leading researchers in autism in Europe, 
and he's one of the leading researchers in the world, um, and I'm completely spacing on his name right now, but he was talking about looking at a new model of assessment that doesn't say you have this diagnosis, so you're stuck into only these services, but looking at the client as a whole and saying, okay, you have all these different domains that make up who you are and what you need. And, and really like embracing that neurodiversity spectrum of what that can look like and that you may have this diagnosis, but you may also have this need. And often we end up pushing people into these comorbid diagnoses, but they're, they don't always tell you the whole picture. And that's one thing I love about looking at, um, all of the domains with our clients and one of the things we're doing in our assessment work for classes right now is looking at every single domain for every single client and and saying okay what are their strengths what are their preferences what um, are their goals in their this area where are they going what do they need Mm -hmm. and I think that that is so powerful because even in special education um looking at evaluations and IEPs and saying, okay, these are the areas that we're assessing in. We don't always go back to the areas that we don't think that there's a significant enough discrepancy. So if we don't think that you fall this far away from the norm, we're not going to assess that area. And I think that can be really, um, and sometimes it's not, not an issue because maybe that client or that student is doing just fine in that area but it's not that 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 domain still affects them even Mm -hmm. if we're not assessing that domain and so what I really love about what we've been doing in some of our assessment work is really looking at every single domain for the clients that we're talking about and saying okay what do their motor skills look like they don't have any issues in motor skills. Well, what are their strengths? What are their preferences? Do they like to move? Do they like big gross motor movements or do they like really intricate things? And just taking a look at all of those pieces, um, whether what we've seen says that there's going to be a deficit or not. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really powerful and something that the field can can influence other areas a little bit more. Um, but I'd love to see more of that developed. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And within that, um, when I was working, I worked as an autism specialist for about four years and I worked a lot with our division for vocational rehabilitation and really talking about how do we support clients with a diagnosis of level one autism who are brilliant in their field and have advanced degrees, but are struggling with basic life skills. And so it impacts their ability to keep a job. Well, what happened is those people didn't have a quote unquote severe enough diagnosis or in the eyes of those that um, say who can get services. And so they lost access. Mm. And so I've really been passionate about this idea of not looking necessarily just at the level of diagnosis or the, the, and, and yes, we need a level of need for providing therapeutic service services, but there's a lot more options. I think growing out of music therapy, especially in the community music therapy realm Mm -hmm. for 
more access outside of just insurance reimbursed private one-on-one -on -one therapeutic services and reaching more of that population that falls through the cracks that really could use the optimizing for those areas that aren't necessarily captured so that then they can optimize their life and go into whatever it is that makes them tick. Because if I am passionate about um, law, there were lawyers in the group that we were talking about um, and trying to find ways to support. Great advanced degree has the professional skills, but if you can't access that because you were never taught specific skills or taught how to self-regulate or things like that, it's going to make it really hard for you to do what you're passionate about. And I think that that's something that, especially in music therapy, we can keep in, keep in mind. And that's something that we do, I think, better than a lot of other fields do. And I would really love to see that push into um, the decision making and the, the lawmaking around who receives some of these services uh, yeah. and, and making them more accessible. Yeah. Um. First, I think taking the time to do like all the domains, assess all the domains for each individual, especially the ones that are strengths, because then you can use those strengths, right? So I've had experiences where I've been on an IEP team, we've been talking, and I'm thinking about one time specifically where the OT was like, student just like cannot tolerate tactile with his hands. Like he doesn't want to touch things. He doesn't like, it's really tough for him. He's not making any progress. And I was like, I'm sorry, like I'm not seeing that. I totally believe that like in your sessions that's happening, but with me, that's not happening. Um, so to be able as a team to be like, hey, these are the strengths I'm seeing, but are they actually strengths? Are they actually weaknesses? Like kind of go back and forth, work together, determine you know, why is this working in one place and not working in another? How can we help um, generalization for lack of a better term? You know, how can we support this person to be able to utilize this ability across the board? Uh, I think is really important because if it was just one of us or each of us individually doing this treatment plan, they would look very opposite. I would not be addressing tactile anything and she would, and then we wouldn't have, um, have that, that going for us. My other thought is, I am part of this nonprofit adaptive band program um, called the 2D Ensemble. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing program where music therapists and music educators or music therapy students, music education students, depending on where the program is, give two-on-one -on -one lessons and ensemble experiences to people in the community, um, you know, with various diagnoses or needs or support. Um, needs, all that kind of stuff. And so you have a music therapist and a music educator or college students teaching this person how to play an instrument. And so you're getting the music education person with all this education background and then the music therapy person adapting all of the things. And so one of the um, struggles, I guess, one of the things we, we originally butted heads on was the music educators among us are saying, we need to know the diagnosis of the people we are working with. Like, we need to know that. So we are prepared. We know how to handle things, blah, 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 like very education mindset. And the music therapists among the group were like, 
does it matter? Does the diagnosis matter? We're here, we're working with this person every week. We see their strengths, we see their needs. Does it matter that I know they're diagnosed with A, B, C, or D? Mm-hmm. And it was just like this really interesting conversation to get into based on our differences in training as educators and therapists, and then our differences in approach. You know, would I approach this dif- this person differently if I knew they were autistic versus they have ADHD, mm-hmm. or would I not? So, yeah, yeah, and I think you know that's I really love the idea of making things more inclusive and not you have to have X Y Z as your label mm-hmm. in order to get A B C because I think we're really doing a disservice to a lot of our individuals that we serve by not serving them. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when I was teaching music and special ed and had, I would have our, um, occupational therapists come in and we noticed that a lot of our young children in our early childhood classes didn't have a lot of their fine motor skills developed. And, um, so we were doing things as a as a special educator i was supporting the classrooms with doing some more of those things in that classroom but then in music i started putting music to those exercises the ot would come in and we would um, bring in some different exercises we would do and we do about 10 minutes at the beginning of our music time and i had pre-k to first grade in the first in the classroom together. So it's a little bit of a wide range, um, but it was also helpful because you had that peer interaction. And this was a general ed music class. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't a pull out music class. It wasn't specific to students with disabilities. And it was helpful for all of our students. And um, we actually, by the end of the semester with them, they would get up. I think it only took about two months to get them leading the group on their own. So I would pull a name out of my jar and have um, a student come up. And I think I would have about three or four. They'd come up and I had a recorded track. So I'd record the music um, ahead of time. And then they would just come up and lead the exercises for the whole group and choose the ones they wanted to do. And um, it was great because it taught them to lead each other. It taught Mm -hmm. them how to regulate enough to stand in front of a large group of their peers. Um, Plus they were working on these motor skills and then their peers were attending to someone other than the teacher too. And so you're building in these social skills. So all of these different domains are happening in this environment and it was just such a powerful thing and i'd play music games with my older well even with the younger ones too but even with the older kids we would play start and stop games and um inhibiting our movement and being able to be okay losing and working on these social skills together i had them for specific iep goals for specific students but all of my students benefited from learning those self-regulation skills, learning social skills, learning emotional regulation. Um, And plus they got to have fun and move and make music together. And it was just really an exciting thing. And um, there's just, 
there's just something to be said about not isolating peers. And there, mm-hmm. there's times when it's called for. Um, but, you know, if we're, if we're only pulled into music therapy with people with a like diagnosis and we're only ever doing that in that space, we're not getting to experience the full experience that we could have if other people were invited into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those people are losing out on an experience that could be beneficial for them, even if it's just getting used to interacting with somebody with a disability mm-hmm. and losing those those social barriers of, I don't know how to interact with a person with a disability or I don't understand this, so I'm scared. Yes. So there's just so much power on both sides and learning on both sides that um, I think is just such an amazing experience. And I also wanted to touch on what you were talking about with pairing up with a music educator and a music therapist, because coming from having my undergrad in music education, I had one class on serving students with disabilities that was required. And, um, I, I never, never, ever thought I'd go into special education. I, I didn't think that I had the capacity for it. I Mm. didn't think that I had the demeanor for it. I was uncomfortable and it wasn't, wasn't because I didn't like people with disabilities. I'm an individual with a disability myself, but it was just that I had a limited understanding Mm. and I was, um, I took on a job in a church nursery and we had a young man with um, with an autism diagnosis and a lot of our caregivers had no idea how to support him. And so I took an inclusion class and it was a non-required class and I started just diving in and trying to figure it out. I had no idea back then what I was doing and I, I had a, a couple of other um, nannying and childcare jobs that required me to figure out how to work with children with disabilities. And then, um, it just all started from there. And I, when I added on my special education endorsement, it was actually mostly to increase my marketability as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found this real passion for serving people and through that process. And we had, um, the first summer of my master's program, we had a camp. Um, it was an arts and literacy camp. And one of our main instructors was an opera singer and good friend of mine. And, um, and so we would come into this space and we were the camp counselors and we were the case managers. So all of the students in the camp had either an IEP or a 504. Um, and so we, we had to be familiar. It was one of our internships. We had to be familiar with what they needed, but the, the camp was so open and flexible to just learn these arts. And so we had students writing poetry and making music and doing art. And it was just such a powerful thing. And like every student made a quilt square that then we tied together and made a big giant quilt for our final performance. They learned sections of um, musicals and I think they learned a section of an opera and they were doing and choreographing their own dances. 
and all this like really great stuff. They did a puppet show and, you know, just all these different integrated arts. And it just gave me this passion for adapting music and making music accessible. Um, I'm actually doing, I, I do a presentation on arts accessibility. I just gave it at our um, state special ed conference, but I'm doing it with the Berkeley Able Art Able Assembly, um, which is all about empowering arts for everybody. And it's just something I'm so passionate about. And I, when I was teaching um, in the classroom, I had to adapt instruments for students. And I wish that our music educators had more experience because I really, coming back full circle to where this all started, um, I really think we're doing a disservice to our music educators by not giving mm -hmm. them more. Because I can't tell you how many times as a special education teacher, I've had to go in and say, it's not as hard as you think it is. Like, I know this is your specialty and this is mine. And thankfully I have that music specialty as well, but let, let's combine. We need to speak the same language. And I think mm. that's one of the powerful things that music therapists can do is that music therapists speak that disability language and they also speak that music language. Yeah. And I think that our music educators are afraid because they don't have the experience or they don't have, especially our young music educators, and they don't have the instruction. Mm. And I think if we just added more of that in, or if, if every music educator had a music therapist on their staff, I mean, that, you know, that's that, the would ideal. Be, that would be ideal, you know, but I, I think it's just um, getting over that fear barrier, um, mm -hmm. fear of like thinking you're going to do something wrong and, you know, or that you aren't going to do it the right way because you don't have that training um, or just not knowing where to start. Yeah. And I think that also stems from what you were saying before about just like our life experiences are still so segregated, whether we want to acknowledge that or not, like they really are. Um, so if you didn't go to school, you know, pre-college and were with people, students, teachers, staff who were disabled, not neurotypical, any combination in between, and you've just like gone all the way to your professional life why are you suddenly going to be comfortable around people who are different than you or like you're not going to know what to do and regardless of if you had one class in college or 10 classes in college to try and prepare you for that like as a society it'd be great if we were more integrated from like being little littles so that when we get to the professional setting, hey, we can work as a professional client relationship, but we can also work professional to professional on like, hey, we have these differences and how can we support each other as humans and how can we support each other in supporting these students and just knowing how to work together and being more comfortable with all of that everyone being comfortable advocating for their needs or asking someone else what their needs are or being able to intuit those a little bit just based on you know life experience um yeah I know that's something I'm like navigating a lot as a professional is like with my students but also with other professionals and noticing like oh now that the autistic community is is so much more prevalent in you know the media I'm consuming and everything, recognizing things or someone who possibly could have an ADHD diagnosis, just being like, oh, I recognize that 
you do X, Y, Z pretty frequently. And like, I can adapt what I'm doing to try and be a better colleague to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that starts, that starts like 50 years ago, (laughs) you know, it starts when we're little. Um, Yeah. That's, that's what's really came like stuck out to me and everything you said was just across the board learning more at an academic level, but also just a life experience, setting up more opportunities for life experience to work together and be in community with each other, even though we're different. Yeah. I think one of the, the best things that's helped me learn about myself is being around autistic adults. Mm. Um, or other adults with other disabilities or other differences, other um, lifestyles that are different from me, because Mm -hmm. I learn how much of a sameness there is. Or I learn, um, I have several friends that um, no matter what their diagnosis is, are in the, the neurodiversity realm and have taught me a lot about recognizing my own sensory needs Mm. and recognizing my own needs for preserving my energy. And, um, you know, I really, especially in the past couple of years through the pandemic, I was listening recently to your talk on capacity change through the pandemic. And, you know, just thinking back on how much I've changed in the past couple of years but looking also at the influences that have been there and um, and seeing how many pieces are really there that I tend to ignore stuff down because society says I should. Yes. You know? And, and I think it's just Classic. so, yeah, I think it's just so um, powerful to be around people that just let you be who you are. Yes. And unless you're around people that have learned to accept that themselves, it's hard to accept that within yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think something that's been really helpful for me as a practitioner is learning about myself and fully accepting who I am. And you were talking about presence too. That has been a big thing for me this year, especially moving into a practicum session because I was so nervous it was a new diagnosis for me and I was afraid to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. I, even though I've worked in the disability field for so long, coming into a session and calling it music therapy and being different and knowing that I'm a student, yeah, I just had this nervousness. But as, as soon as I let, let the recognition that they're fine with me being who I am and just being fully present in that session. I was able to just sink into who I was Mm. just able to sink into the relationship with them and this back and forth and to be responsive to things and for a client to say, I don't quite understand X, Y, Z. Can you explain it? Or how should this feel? What this should this look like? And stepping outside of my plan of, I scripted this whole thing out because this is what the textbook says it should be, or this is what my conceptualization of this should be. And my nerves say that I need to follow my checklist, being able to step out and say, okay, we're going to stop. We're going to spend some time on this breathing exercise to really make sure you're feeling what you're supposed to feel. 
mm-hmm. or so that you understand what I'm trying to teach you in this this piece. Um, and or um, you're having issues with something today or something happened in the last session and we just need to talk as a group, you know, and being responsive and being okay with that space. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if I'm not around people who teach me that it's okay to have my own stuff because every single one of us has stuff. Yes. And and learning how to deal with that and how to accept who we are but optimize our own health, optimize our own learning. If we're not around people that make that okay, we're not going to make that okay for our clients. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to be as responsive to them in sessions as we need to be. Yes. Yes. Way to hit the nail on the head. (laughs) My soapbox there. Uh, But yeah, it's just, it's been such a powerful thing um, because I think we, we all just get stuck. We get stuck in this space of, you know, whether it's what insurance wants or what the IEP wants or, (laughs) you know, you know, you were talking about we may not be working on those IEP goals right this moment because we need to work on this first. Mm -hmm. That's real life. Yes. You know, um, there, yeah. there's days when I can't get X, Y, Z done on my checklist because I haven't met my basic needs for the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, or I haven't planned to preserve my energy in different spaces. I haven't taken that self-care for the morning, you know, mm-hmm. and if those building blocks aren't in place, then we can't go that direction. So it's all intertwined, which just blows my mind because we could just go off on all these tangents. But um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we are not self-regulated and showing up as our best selves, students can sniff that out. Clients, like people can sniff that out. They know, especially if you have like a really good therapeutic relationship with your, Mm -hmm. your, whoever you're working with. If you come in one day and you're a little different, they're going to know. And we shouldn't act like they don't know. And that doesn't mean to be like, I come in and I'm like, you know, so-and-so died and I got into a fight with my partner. And like, you don't need to like just unload all your stuff, but you can just be like, hey, so-and-so like, I'm feeling a little bit tired today. I just want you to know. Or if you need something in the session to self-regulate, like you can do that and model that, you know, like that's okay. Uh, And it's important to do because otherwise we are teaching our students indirectly that it's okay for you to have needs and have supports and for me to offer them to you, but it's not okay for me as an adult to also have needs and require supports, Mm -hmm. which like is kind of how society is currently set up. We should like be the change, right? Yep. (laughs) Mix that up. Totally, totally. Um, which reminds me of the, there was another conversation you guys were having a couple of weeks ago about, you know, schedule changes and that our schedule changes aren't what we need. And that's one of the big things like that I've learned I need is I need a set schedule that works for my body, Mm. you know, and recognizing that our students have that too, or our clients. And, you know, if they can't do a early morning session because they're not that's not what's going to work for their body, then maybe we need to change that. And, yeah, you know, sometimes we can't because society has things set a certain way. 
But I found that middle schoolers are some of the best at sniffing out when you are not at your peak. I When I was teaching middle school band, there, there was one day I walked in and they're like, Miss Amy, are you okay? Something's up. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I'm having an off day, but you know what? It's okay. We're still going to have band together, but thank you for noticing. Yeah. You know, um, it, and it's just, it, they'll, they'll call you out on it. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I also used to have paraprofessionals that, um, swimming is one of the things I used to do a lot for self-regulation and I, I need to get back into it more, but I would go swim every night before I went home and went to bed and, um, and I would come in sometimes and I'd be working and my parents would be like, you didn't go swimming last night, did you? Like, no. How do you know? I can tell your, your energies, like my shoulders would be tighter. Mm. I would be like, I wouldn't be mean, but it, it would just, I would look more tired or I would look more stressed. My body wasn't self-regulated. Yeah. And I think that we discount that physical regulation of our body sometimes. Mm. Um, and, and that sensory regulation because swimming and that water, like the pressure of the water and the feel of the water, it was just something that was so therapeutic. Plus, I can't work while I'm swimming. So right. I can't, can't sit at my computer and, and multitask. And so I kind of have to just like let the thoughts wash through my brain. Mm. And but we we all have to find what those pieces are that help us self-regulate so that we can be our best. Um and, and model, like you said, model that for our clients and for our students mm -hmm. that we, we all have those pieces. Um, and, and so, and if we can't get it right at that moment, sometimes our, our self-care has to be in the middle of the day, you know, especially, yep. um, I have a lot of friends who are, are moms of young children and they're not getting their self-care first thing in the morning. And so sometimes it has to be at nap time and, things like that, but, but learning how to navigate that piece, especially if you have people in your space, you have to learn how to mm -hmm. navigate between each other, you know, but it's just, it's a really important piece to be present, whether you are a music therapist, whether you're a parent trying to be present with your child, whether you're a teacher, um, it's just really important um, I think we, we negate self-care. We say, oh, I'll take care of myself later. And I'm definitely one of those people of I care for everybody else first. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm taking a class called Therapeutic Processes right now. And um, for one of the assignments, we had to interview someone and ask them questions about us. And I, I interviewed my husband. And one of the things that he told me that he doesn't like about me is that and the question was phrased a little bit differently than that but it was that I take care of everybody else first and myself mm. last and um and I think that that was so powerful or that I let other people's expectations impede how I take care of myself or when yeah. I take care of myself and yeah. so I think that that is really um an important thing that I've really just been trying to hit home a little bit more um, because mm. it does impact my clients. Yeah. Um, so, and sometimes it takes planning, you know, especially if you have a busy schedule with client sessions and other things going on, you have to 
plan ahead for those things. So if I know I need to eat every so often and I know I have a client session and I can't eat during the client session, I need to make sure that I eat before the client session or Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I, I now have like a little basket of snacks on my desk that if I haven't had a chance to run downstairs and grab food, I have something, even if it's a half a protein bar before I run into a session, you know, that I have something that will help, you know. Um, so I think that that's, that's one thing. Like, we forget to plan for those things because we're too busy planning for everybody else. But yeah. planning is part of self-care. So, you know. Anyways, lots of tangents I could go on there, but. Um, I love that. I think that ties back to also, like, um, people who are not on the side of the spectrum that receives supports. Mm -hmm. So I am a neurotypical adult. I was not taught in school how to self-regulate, how to recognize my needs and address them. Self-care was not a word that exists, like that was not a term Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I had ever heard. So as an adult, it's like being self-aware enough to notice when Uh, I'm dysregulated and then to experiment with enough things to figure out what's going to work to help me through that. And so that is something that in general, we should be offering to more people, specifically students, because if you learn that when you're young, theoretically, it'll support you for your lifetime. But um, that's something that we work on so much with our, our, we'll say like IEP based students, or when I worked at the state hospital, you know, those are adults that we're working on coping skills with, like not saying that if they had learned coping skills when they were five years old, their life would be rainbows and sunshine. But, you know, like if there was some earlier support and like being self-aware, knowing what your needs are, diagnosis or not, um, having the time and space and comfortability experimenting with different things so you find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's just like a general thing I think should be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to one of my good friends who is autistic about um, and is an amazing advocate for all neurodivergent individuals and all disability advocacy, really. And she and I were talking about how we do social skills and self-regulation groups for kids with disabilities yes. or adults with disabilities. But, and so we teach neurodivergent individuals how to communicate with neurotypicals or how to match who they are for neurotypicals, but we don't teach neurotypicals how to interact with neurodivergents or even other neurotypicals. Like, and so I, I really like, that's one of the things that, um, I would really love to do more of, especially in the early development (laughs) range of like how do we just interact with each other as people yes because how do i ask you what you need how do i you know how do i try to figure out what's going on with you based on what i can observe you know um how do i accept you Mm. how do i ask everyone to play not just a neurotypical you know um how do I interact with somebody who communicates in a different way? You know, and I, I think that that's something that we do need more inclusive, but usually a lot of our inclusive um, social skills groups 
are using peers to teach neurodivergent individuals how to interact with them and not how to interact with each other. Yes. I think I think the original idea was like, let's interact with each other. And there is something really powerful about that. But I think that we're missing one half of the equation. Yeah. And um, so I think it's, and, and those kids that are really able to pick up on that and observe and teach themselves, you know, they're really successful. And a lot of times those are the people that go into the disability field. But a lot of our kids really need that instruction um, because you don't have to have a diagnosis to struggle with social skills in some form or self-regulation in some form. Every single one of us at some point in our lives is going to have a social faux pas or we're going to have self-regulation issues. And so I think, you know, talking about how to navigate when something doesn't go how we expect, when something, mm. when our behavior does not result in what we want it to, you know, and how, how we can do that. I spend, I um, spend a lot of time talking to teachers about how we change what we do to get a different response. And even mm. as therapists, like if something isn't working, we can't change our client. We're changing what we're doing to facilitate an experience. Yeah. And we're changing the music to facilitate an experience. And I think if we do a lot more of that, like you said, at those early ages, that it's going to carry through. Our brain is making so many connections in those early, early years, mm. that by the time you get to adulthood, there's a lot of things that have become really ingrained. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, but that's brain science too. Like, and yes, you can rewire that brain, but the more we can do it early on, the better, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's it's just, yeah, I love what you were saying there about about bringing it back to that early learning piece. Mm -hmm. uh, because everyone think, should get all the services yes yes <laughs> honestly yes um I would love um love it if all kids have this flexible ability with accessible like I do a lot with universal design for learning and just trying to make everything accessible you know I mean I I spent about three months in college where I was in a wheelchair after I recovered from knee surgery um, and I, I would find these ways that I thought our campus was accessible <laughs> until I had to navigate it. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't that it was completely inaccessible, but little things like I, it was, I was in Oregon and it rains. So we'd have these big thick mats outside of our doors, like outside of the campus building. So I would go up and push the, the door open button I'd have to wheel myself back and then wheel back forward over this thick mat. Yeah. And by the time I got to the door, it was shut, yeah. you know? And so, or like having to like go round and round in circles up a building because the elevator's on the opposite side of where the um, accessible button is or your card access is, you know? And it's, it's not that it was completely inaccessible, but just thinking about the design of what we do 
mm-hmm. you know, to make it more accessible for other people and taking away barriers. And that's yeah. that's an easy example because we can imagine a wheelchair. But when we're looking at like instruction or working with our clients of, you know, um, even providing song lyrics for, that's one of the things we do for our clients. They have the visual and the auditory, you know, mm. so they get both of those pieces. They have time to prepare. So we, not that they need to prepare, but we give them like a prep a day ahead. And so they know what's coming in session or giving clients visuals so that they can communicate in a medical setting saying what they want to do, mm. uh, picking their preferences, you know, there, there's so many different things that we can adapt to help people have more accessibility. Yeah. Um, but, and I think if we do that from day one, <laughs> you know, it, it builds a society that's more, more accessible. Yeah. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm so passionate about it, but yeah, can hear the passion. That's good. That's good. Um, is there, do you want to touch on anything else related to this before I ask you about the new creative project that you've started? Um, I think, I think we've covered quite a bit, you know, <laughs> I think it's quite a bit for listeners to chew on. Um, mm-hmm. We've covered quite a few topics, but they all like intertwine. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, um, when I picture it in my brain, I just have this jumbled mess, but at the same time, like, everything's connected and crossing Mm. paths, but, um, picturing like a mind map, you know, with the bubbles and the lines, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything connects to everything else. You can't have self-awareness or without, um, learning how to be around other people and you can't have, um, presence without self-awareness and Mm. you know but you can't have presence without other people either you know and so it's all just interconnected but yeah so tell the listeners about what you've recently started and where they can get more of your thoughts and insights um so I the the best place to connect with me would be my my website at amycrodriguez.com And I just launched a new podcast. Um, The first episode is out and um, I'm recording the next couple episodes, Um, but it's called Learning Reimagined. And it isn't just about education. Um, There are a lot of pieces that will be, but it's about how we learn, the ways we learn, the different things we learn from. So life experience or learning about who we are, learning about how to raise our kids, learning about education. Um, so it's not going to just be education focused, but really reimagining how we think about how we learn, because Mm. every moment of every day we are learning from how we interact with our environment. And, um, so that's, that's what I just launched. Um, just did the inaugural episode and then the next couple episodes, I'm going to really hit on values, um, because Mm. there are three values, um, I have an education company as well as the music work I do. And the three values <clears throat> that we have are creatively innovating or embracing diversity, creatively innovating and growing together. And so I'm going to talk about what those mean and what that looks like and how that impacts how I practice. And um, and so and then we'll move into some more topics and things. But it's really about how we can learn as practitioners 
how we can learn through music, how we can learn through teaching, how we can learn through parenting, you know, um, and self-awareness. And so it's just a really, um, really a great way to look at a different way of learning and reimagine that. Um, and so we are on Apple Podcasts. I'm working to get us on some other podcast platforms. Um, but you can also find the link to that as well as episodes that I've guested on um, at amycrodriguez.com slash podcast. Um, and so it has all of those episodes on there as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Super I'll exciting. have all that linked. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, I think that's going to be an amazing resource for people of, of all professions and walks of life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to touch on before we do the rapid fire? Um, I don't think so at this time, just, you know, keep thinking about your own presence and thinking about how we interact with each other and how that can make an impact on who you are and how you learn about the people you serve, whatever environment that's in. Yeah. Well said. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study Towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website musictherapychronicles.com and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website mtpodcastcollective.com Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. One of my favorite parts of the show, so... <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's also one of my favorites. I know it might seem kind of uh, repetitive, obviously, because it's always the same questions, but I love hearing different people's takes on the mm -hmm. same questions. So, all right. Coffee or tea? Both, actually. Um, I I love, I usually only do one cup of, co cup of coffee in the morning, but if it's tea, it's usually peppermint. Mm. And I've um, started getting into a routine um need to actually get back into it of drinking a cup of tea before bed um mm. and doing just a short um musical yoga session with with a cup of tea um and so I love both good for you early bird or night owl <laughs> this this is one of my favorite questions to listen to um 
I like being an early bird, though living in Alaska with the darkness, sometimes it's hard. Um, I am more productive in the morning and more creative at night. So mm. I'm trying to actually shift to where I have a rest period in the middle of my day so that mm. I can have more of that creative at night and still get up early to be productive. Yeah. Way to adapt your own life to your own needs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Something you'd tell your younger self. Follow your intuition, follow your gut, and don't let anyone convince you that your gut is wrong. Mm. Yeah. Your music therapy elevator speech. Oh, this one's one of the hardest questions. Always is. Yes. Um, Music therapy is a way to engage with clients and guide them through optimizing their learning or their health in a variety of areas of their life. You have prepared for these. (laughs) I, I think I had a little bit like more eloquent elevator speech and then I forgot what it was but you know in a nutshell that's really what we do is Mm -hmm. you know and it it looks so different depending on what what area you're in yeah 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 your favorite self-care practice hmm Typically it's knitting, but I haven't been able to do that as much. And I think that this really shifts for us. Um, I've been painting a lot more. I, I started learning how to paint. Um, so, um, yeah, I think doing something physically creative um, instead of just musically, because I think it's easy to get burnout when yeah. we're making music for other people. Totally. Um, yeah. So I think it really shifts depending on what I'm doing. Um, and I find routine, find having a morning and an evening routine is one of the best ways to just really be, take care of myself the most. Yeah. Consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Hmm. I would say... <clears throat> Um, my marriage, honestly, um, because I have a husband who pushes me and Mm. questions when I, when I'm not taking care of myself or questions, um, he'll, he'll help me like do mock sessions or just really like take care of things when things are hard, um, and keep me encouraged when I feel like, feel like things are going the way I want them to go. And so I really think that that, um, having people in your corner, um, is really important, whether that's in a marriage or friendship. But I think that that's one of the things that has really um, been adding a lot of value to my life. And there's actually one more, and this was one of the things I was thinking about um, as I was thinking about the rapid fire questions, and that's grief. Um, I just mm-hmm. went through a period of pretty intense grief um, and still processing through it. But it's, I think one of the things of how it's added value to my life is that I've learned a lot about myself in the process and I've learned a lot about how other people have influenced me in that process and um, I read some research last fall on being an ethical practitioner through grief and it was 
it was really powerful um, in, in figuring out how to be present even when I have my own stuff going on. And so I yeah. think th those two things are like the big things that are really adding a lot of value to my life. Yeah, it's beautiful that you've been able to see the um, the positive changes that grief brings into your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? I actually am really getting into therapeutic songwriting right now um, and or clinical songwriting and rewriting lyrics for my clients. Um, I <clears throat> or just writing different things for them. Um, I, I was really afraid of it because I've always struggled with lyrics and struggled mm -hmm. to like write lyrics and, but I'm a composer, but I know I normally compose for like chamber groups and instruments yeah. that don't talk. <laughs> they talk through their sound. <laughs> and, um, so I was always afraid of songwriting. Um, and I, I took my neurologic music therapy training, um, recently and, we were just talking about different ways to use music to do motion and things like that. And so I started just really experimenting and writing songs to go with activities I was doing for my clients. And then um, we had some work that we were doing on um, writing songs for um, different purposes. And I rewrote the lyrics to um, Won't Back Down by Tom Petty for my clients. Um, I work with a group of clients with Parkinson's disease. And so rewrote it specifically about um, Parkinson's. And so it's called PD Won't Get Me Down. Um, and, you know, but just the power of writing songs. And um, one of my peers is doing, has been doing heartbeat songs with parents who are about to lose one of their children or learning about womb songs for birthing parents. And so I really think that that is like one of the most powerful interventions that like has really been getting to me lately of just mm. how much power there is in writing things unique for our clients. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Lovely. The last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you? If there's anywhere you haven't mentioned yet. Um, so my website um, and then um, I am on Facebook. Facebook, LinkedIn, and, um, or let's see, Facebook, it's at Amy Rodriguez Music, and then LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at Amy C. Rodriguez. Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, you said? Oh, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't write fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I'll make sure that you have those links too, but um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. And I'd love to connect with, um, anyone who is really resonating with these topics and, um, excited to hear, um, uh, more about what people think about this topic. So I know that you interact a lot with your listeners, which I think is awesome. Thanks. I try, uh, <laughs> listeners, you can interact more with me too. I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just loved like, I, I, I was fangirling a little bit like when um, we first started talking about me coming on here because I remember when I sent in questions for you on one of your Q&A episodes and I, I was so excited to hear my question and your response on the air. And um, so like I think it's just amazing when we get to connect with people through this platform 
that we otherwise wouldn't have a chance to connect with. So totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for sending in your questions and for, you know, hanging out with me and talking and sharing with the listeners and all the resources that you're putting together yourself too, to just empower people and share knowledge and, um, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for all the, the things you put out as well. Um, yeah, I think the more we can empower each other, the better and the better we can serve our clients. Definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already, and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.